Prepare your heart to be moved by God through the preaching and teaching of His Word as delivered at Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. John 6 verse 1 says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. I know you got two seas there, but one aspect is the sea, same sea, on the side near Galilee, and the same sea on the east side near Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. I want to stop here. It says that um, the Bible tells us that these signs shall follow them that believe. Isn't that the scripture? These signs shall follow them that believe. Well, Jesus has now become a sign to those who are following him. He is causing miracles, signs, and wonders, and the people following him is a sign. It's a sign, because what? Signs follow those who believe. Jesus believes in miracles and performing miracles, and because he's performing miracles, there's a great crowd following him because they have become a sign of belief. These people are following Jesus because they have watched Jesus heal not potentially only their issues and diseases and illnesses, but the crowd is also a mixture of people who saw Jesus heal somebody they know. So now they believe in Jesus because potentially Jesus healed their friend. So they're a follower, not by virtue of direct experience, but because their friend was had a disease and now their friend is whole, it does them so good for somebody to stop by and heal their friend that they are so impressed that they have become a follower of Jesus. They're following Jesus because he is healing diseases. They're watching Jesus care about people Versus just caring about himself. What makes this man Jesus tick and flow? What is the rhyme to his reason that he cares enough to heal people with their diseases? Another reason that the crowd is actually so large following Jesus is because Jesus is actually revisiting Galilee. He's revisiting Galilee, meaning he'd been there before. So this crowd is also what I call residual influence or residual increase. It's because he's been there before, they know of his works, they know how he flows, and it's like that the word gets around Galilee that Jesus is back. And the people who know what he did last time he was there joins in the crowd again because they are now the fruit of what he did before. It's called residual. This is a residual increase because what he had did before from his prior visit to Galilee. I want to remind you in his last prior visit to Galilee is where Jesus turned water into wine. In his last visit, that's what he did. He turned water into wine. Now tell your neighbor, now tell your neighbor about this story. Here's the secret to that whole water to wine story. Tell your neighbor, don't talk too loud. Say it real soft. Tell them, don't say it too loud. Tell them, say it was still water. He just made it taste like wine. 
to tell him again, said it was still water, but he made it taste like wine. Yeah, it was still water. He turned water to wine. It was still water, but when they tasted it, it tastes like wine. Tell your neighbor, tell, her, it, tell your neighbor, it was still an affliction. He just made it a testimony. Tell him it was still a mistake. He just turned it around for my good. Jesus has a habit of coming in and taking something and flipping it around. These people are following him because the water and to wine illustration says if he can do that to water. That message, that subliminal message that gets inside the mind of those who are at the wedding, the subliminal message, we know it was a, ba a basin of water that he turned to wine, but the subliminal message says if, if he can do that to wine, to water, I wonder what he can do with me. Uh, I got to get in this crowd. I got to get in this crowd. I've been hearing things about him, but I got to get in this crowd following Jesus because he took water and turned it to wine. Jesus is still reaping from that prior trip. But even as we move into John 6 and get these verses together, we understand he's done some recent healings. Say some recent healings. So recently, before John 6 comes about, in the previous chapters, he sees a man laying by the pool called Bethesda. This man laying by the pool of Bethesda was lying there at the pool of Bethesda that had five porches. And so it's a pool surrounded by different porches. And on these porches lie impotent folks, weak folks, infirm folks, diverse diseases and sicknesses. In the midst of Jesus approaching Bethesda, he finds a man who's right there on a porch waiting for a miracle. How the pool of Bethesda would work, there was an angel that would come down at a certain season by the pool of Bethesda. That's why all the sick folk, infant folk, were sitting at these porches because they understood that if there were any potential of a turnaround of their disease, they had to be in place and they actually had to live at the porch. They were placed at the porch and they had to live at the porch. Why? Because the angel would come at a certain time and trouble the water and whoever got in one of the pool first would get healed. Imagine being a person with an illness and you so desperate to be have a breakthrough that you got to live at the porch. And then not just live at the porch, then you got to be the first one in the water when the angel comes. Well, when is the angel coming? Uh, when is the angel coming? When is the angel going to crack the sky and hit the water and the water trouble? And what if while I'm waiting, I get distracted? Come on, saints. While we're waiting on him to move, something else gets in the way and we get distracted. What if? And so I see this man who's been there a long time. He had the issue for 38 years. No telling how long he's been there. I can see that this man had missed the angel on some previous seasons. Potentially he got distracted Potentially he met another friend Who was in a similar situation like him And he was in the midst of the conversation And while he's conversating with somebody else The angel came 
Imagine the desperation of what's happening. But Jesus walks by and he said, see a man with the issue for 38 years and the man could not walk. So that's another issue that he has with getting to this stirred water whenever the angel comes because he cannot walk. And in the midst of the multitude of all the infirmities, Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be healed? And the man responds and says, I want to be healed. I don't want to be this way always. I don't want to be in this condition always. He says, look, Jesus, I don't want to be. I know I'm in this condition. And it's easy to walk by somebody in a condition and only say they're there because they want to be there. It's easy to look at people's circumstances and say if they really want to get up out of there, they'll get up out of there. He said, but you don't know, Jesus. I really have tried to get out of this situation. I've tried to make things better for myself, but every time the angel comes, somebody else gets in the troubled water before me. He said, I've been trying this for a long time, Jesus. He says, I've been there, I've been trying. And Jesus says, he says, be healed. He says, be healed. He said, well, and he tells him, be healed. Imagine this man. Life getting turned around because Jesus relieves him of something he's been trying to do. Trying to get together. Trying to get my mind right. Trying to get my thoughts subject to the will of God. Oh, y'all ain't never struggled for nothing, I see. <laughs> Trying to live holy. <laughs> I can't understand how that brother do it. <laughs> I've been trying. I can't understand how that sister do it. I'm, this man was trying. Here comes Jesus. And say, I'm going to honor all your previous tries. And heals this man. This is the current healing that's going on. Another current miracle that's going on is that there was a noble man. It means he was born of an elite class. It means he was born in the upper echelon of society. His family had money. This man came to Jesus and he told Jesus, he said, Jesus, um, he says, my son is sick and close to die. In the midst of asking Jesus to heal his son, Jesus asked this man in response or told him a statement. In other words, in other words, and in another way of saying it, he didn't really, Jesus didn't really ask the man nothing. Jesus has made a statement to him. Jesus says, except ye, ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's what Jesus responded to the man. The noble man came and said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The man, the noble man responded and said, sir, come down air, E-R-E. -E. He says, come down air, my child die. His response is, I ain't got time to be playing around as if I need to see a sign to believe for my son to get a miracle. He says, I'm ready right now. You ain't got to take me through those stages. I'm in a sense of desperation for my kid. My kid is about to at the house about to die and I ain't like everybody else. I'm so desperate right now. I don't need to see nobody else get healed for me to believe that you can heal. He responds to Jesus and says, come down air my child. The word air means before. In other words, he's saying, I needed you yesterday. I'm actually late getting to you, Jesus. If I'd have known that you healed this way, if I'd have known that you delivered this way, I wouldn't have tried all those other things before I came to you. So the fact that I'm coming to you now, I'm actually late seeking you. I'm actually late coming to you. My child needed you yesterday. 
before. That's what he said before. I needed you before. Not just right now. Jesus, actually, I'm late coming to you. It's an urgency. He says, I'm late seeking you. I need you now. Jesus said unto him, and I like Jesus. You can tell when Jesus is really pleased with people's faith. Jesus looks at the man and Jesus says, go thy way. Thy son liveth. Now that's powerful. <laughs> Jesus says, go thy way. Thy son liveth. <laughs> and as the man left Jesus' presence, believing the word that his son liveth, while he's on his way home, he meets his servants coming towards him. And when he gets to his servants, the first thing they say to him is, your son liveth. Imagine that. Well, he asked him, he says, what? He said, your son liveth. And after they celebrate his son living, the, the nobleman asked him a question. The question he asked him, he says, I got to know when did it occur? He said, when did this happen? When did this happen? And they said, on yesterday. They said, on yesterday, about the seventh hour. He said, on the seventh hour? All right, the seventh hour. He says, oh, that was about the time that Jesus told me, go thy way, thy son liveth. I'm telling you, Jesus did something. Now, Jesus did something for both of them. Not just the man who believed, but the servants who were waiting and watching. Because the servants were watching the son. And I could tell him, telling the son, don't you die. Your son, your daddy going to get help. Hold on, boy. Your daddy going to get help. I could see the servants becoming intercessors and say, hold on here, boy. Your daddy going to get help. But Jesus, when he said, when did this happen? It happened the seventh hour yesterday. So two things were really going on. Number one. Jesus did something for the servants. The servants could have stayed at home and waited for the nobleman to return. But Jesus will do a miracle that make you run. Jesus did a miracle. And rather than waiting for the nobleman to come home, they got up and they said, we got to go tell this man on what Jesus has done. They go running and it confirms the faith of the nobleman. Now the nobleman said, I want to know what it happened. He says it happened at the seventh hour. Well, we understand that Jesus died at the ninth hour. So we do a little deduction of reasoning and get to what's the seventh hour. The ninth hour is 3 p.m. Jewish time. Tell somebody JT time. Not EST, not CST, not Eastern Standard, not Central, but Jewish time, the ninth hour is 3 p.m., so that means the seventh hour is 1 p.m. He said, when did this thing happen? They said about 1 p.m. yesterday, what time was it? About 1 p.m. Yeah, remember I was doing that? Yeah, yeah, it was about 12 when I first got free, then I went over there. When I looked at him again, yeah, it was close to 1 p.m. Yeah, about 1 p.m. He said, yeah, that's the time I was with Jesus, and Jesus spoke a word, and the self same Hour. These people ran to meet their nobleman almost a day's journey. Because they say to him, Jesus healed your son yesterday. What I'm trying to tell you, if you ever get stirred up for Jesus, distance will never be a problem. If you ever get stirred up for Jesus, if you get your fire right, what God is asking you to do won't be a problem. These people traveled almost a day's journey just to tell the nobleman what Jesus has done. Because distance is not a problem when you're real hungry. 
This is not a problem when you really got a fire. This is not a problem. Jesus heals this man. He, Jesus is showing us while this crowd is following him, he's really trying to teach on how to treat people. Jesus did not perform these miracles that I've mentioned because they were worthy or do a miracle. He didn't give them a miracle because they were entitled to a miracle. Miracles are an act of compassion and mercy. I think we need to revisit our theology about what God does in our lives. We think God does everything because we are do something. So now we got a bunch of snotty-nosed church folks arrogantly praising God using word confession, which is proper, to tell God what to do and when he needs to do it. And now God, in their heads and mind, is like a puppet on the string. Yeah, we send God everywhere we ain't willing to go. <laughs> we won't go to the hospital to visit nobody, so God go to the hospital. We won't go to jail to see nobody, so we send God to the jail. We send God everywhere like he's an errand boy with an apron on. And that's how we become entitled little Christians who forget that God moves greatly by mercy. God moves greatly by compassion. And he didn't heal these people just by entitlement. It's through, say, through compassion. Let me give you some teacher points here so you won't forget what mercy and compassion looks like. Here it is. Here are some aspects of mercy and compassion. To feed the hungry. To give water to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned or persons who've been captivated. To bury the dead is an act of mercy because they can't bury themselves. Somebody carry out my last wishes. Yeah, to bury the dead is an act of mercy. To be there through somebody's last points of life is an act of compassion and mercy. And there are even times that God will put people who've been hurt by that same person who's on their way to glory to be there for them while they're going through the worst of times. I ain't saying nothing. I've been passionate a while. I've seen trends that God will also will sometimes test your mercy, your, your understanding of mercy by putting you in a place to be merciful to somebody that other people will say ain't do no mercy. Ain't do no, they ain't do nothing for you. He ain't even raise you. Wait, what was he? She didn't even treat you right. But because of mercy, God'll have you there at their bedside. Because of mercy, I ain't saying nothing. I done seen it too many times. Not because they are entitled to that, but sometimes God will put you in a position to show somebody how good he still is through the act of mercy. To instruct the ignorant is an act of mercy. Tell somebody, everybody don't have the wisdom you have. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. So don't be cocky that you smart. I say don't be cocky that you smart. Use it to teach somebody. Don't use it to put other people down. They just so dumb. They just did. They gotta be careful with that. Because the reason you got wise wisdom and smartness and intelligence, God gave you something. Come on. And God gave you the ability to walk through and process. And everybody may not have it at the level that you have it. So sometimes, rather than making yourself so arrogant about something you didn't even give yourself. 
God gave you that gift of wisdom and intelligence. I said again, don't get arrogant because God made you see the things the way you see things. I remember, Minister Jermaine, I was going through a hard time at my life about 19, 20, 18, 19, 20 years old, somewhere around that time. It's around the time when I'm getting called to ministry and learning about the sacrifice of ministry. During that time, I'm going through some hard situations. While I'm going through, a friend called me and said, Joe, can you pray for me? I wasn't ready to pray for nobody. I was upset. I was mad. I was going through my own circumstances. I needed God to come through for me. And he called me asking me to pray for him. I was in one of those type of moves like pray for yourself. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Y'all playing around. I had an attitude. Yes, I did. I was going through something. I just felt like, God, why are people calling me? And I, and I didn't pray for him at the moment. I was like, yeah, man, all right, I'll pray for you, man. And he was, I could hear the desperation of prayer, that he needed prayer in his voice. And I could hear it and stuff like that. I could hear it clearly. And I was like, yeah, man, you're going to make it through it. Yeah, man, you're going to be good. All right, man. Bless you. Have a good day. I got off the phone. I ain't got, got off the phone. I ain't got time to pray for you, man. Man, I got my own stuff I'm going through. When that, and when that, I mean, you know, my man God I got other things trying to happen in my life when I finished talking to God I said call him back and pray for him because I've given you the gift to pray for him he can't get a prayer through but I've gifted you to help him now call him back and pray for him call him back because see I know a little bit about my friend I was like shoot if he start acting right he'll be able to pray if he start hanging around them crazy people he won't always be in that situation you know what I'm saying and I went off and God was like call him back I called you to pray for him. I called you to give while you're going through. I called you to sacrifice when you feel like you don't have nothing left. He said get up off that bed and call him and pray for him. Acts of mercy, yeah. Act of mercy is to counsel the doubtful. The act of mercy is to admonish the sinner. Act of mercy is to bear patiently for those who wrong us. That's an act of mercy. When you're waiting for somebody to apologize who wronged us, that's an act of mercy. I mean, it's, it should be clear as day that they did you wrong. Now, I don't understand, and I don't want to ever be in that place that it take me three years to recognize that I did somebody wrong. I don't, especially when it was like dead wrong. You know, some things could be like a misinterpretation the way I meant it and I didn't really understand that I offended you and only when you come to me do I recognize through your communication to me that I offended you and that gives me the opportunity to say, I didn't think that offended you, I apologize. But I'm talking about when you dead, dead wrong and you don't recognize how dead, dead wrong you are, I'm talking about dead wrong. Y'all know what dead wrong is. There ain't no way when you're talking about this that you can get, get any other way that you was dead wrong and you don't come to the conclusion I don't ever want to be that far gone from the sensitivity of people that I can do people any type of way and never recognize. So to be patient, that's my prayer for me, but to be patient to those who have wronged us while they potentially apologize is an act of mercy. To forgive offenses is an act of mercy. To comfort the afflicted is an act of mercy. All right, that's, These are acts of mercy and Jesus is healing people through mercy. This is the year of multiplied mercy. This is the year where God's going to bless you through his mercy. <laughs> ah, I 
tell somebody I'm gonna try I feel prophecy tell somebody I'm going to try to dot the I and I'm gonna try to cross the T but the blessing that's on my life is also coming through mercy don't you know that you can get the same place through earning as you can through mercy and God's gonna get us some places this year through his mercy say his mercy his mercy his mercy so Jesus is man is following Jesus because of everybody said mercy 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 verse 3 follow me I'm teaching and preaching and Jesus went into a mountain after this big crowd Jesus always had this pattern of ministry that just when the crowd got thick and full he'll go up somewhere to pray it really teaches us how to ham- handle success you know, God gives us a few Facebook friends and we on there all day. Now, how are you going to keep a job and make a living doing 15 lives a day? Come on now. Come on, you can't go live all day. You can't talk to people all day. There got to be some balance in your life. Come on, somebody. But we, some people can't handle success and now you're always in front of the people all the time so they can call your name, so they can call your name. That's why I told you I love to go to work and not tell nobody that I'm a preacher and a pastor. You know why? Because I got enough people, and I thank God for all of you all over the world who recognize that I'm Pastor Joe. I honor that. But I just want to be Joe sometime. I want to just be Joseph sometime. Come on, there are people who all always walking that I'm the bishop all the time but you can't be the bishop when you go home when you home you ain't the bishop you ain't the bishop to your sons and your daughters you're that daddy and you're that mama you ain't saying nothing and there are too many times that people don't know how to come out of their little titles Jesus is not addicted to the crowd in the midst of them calling his name Jesus Jesus he said I'm going to pray because I know where my help comes from. I know what sustains me. I know why I get the portal of the spirit from. I know what opens me up to the miracle signs and wonders. It's my connection to the Father in prayer. So everybody calling your name. So you strong when people calling your name and you don't come out on stage. You're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The whole crowd clapping their hands. Jesus. He's like, I'm going to pray. Oh, y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all ain't saying nothing. When you can handle being elevated. As a matter of fact, the, the whole scripture is metaphoric on how to handle elevation. Because while they're calling his name, he goes to a mountain. Let me teach you how to keep the level of success going in your life. Let me teach you how to keep the same increase flowing in your life. Stay in the presence of God. Yeah, verse 4. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. That's another reason why there's another crowd because there's a feast going on at the time. All these things contribute to a large crowd. It says, when Jesus lift up his eyes on the mountain, saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, hmm, so now they're coming down from this mountain, they come down because of the great company, see this great crowd, he saith unto Philip, one of the disciples, whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And verse 6 says, and this he said to prove him. 
for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, answered Jesus, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. See, Jesus was not worried about taking care of the crowd, but Philip was. So he asked Philip a question. He said, Philip, where shall we buy bread? Philip's response is basically, it, with six months worth of wages, it wouldn't be enough to feed this crowd. But Jesus wasn't asking Philip how much it costs to feed them. Jesus was asking Philip, where can we get some food from? It's amazing that when Jesus tests us and tests our faith, that many ways when he asking one question, we change the subject matter. Jesus wanted to know from Philip, where can we get bread? But Philip is being tested in his faith that Philip don't want to talk about where. He want to talk about we don't have enough to do it. So forget about where we're going to get it from. Because there ain't no sense of thinking about where we're going to get bread from when we only got $20. So Jesus, you think you smart asking me where we're going to get bread from. Boys, disciples, how much money we got? With all our money put together, we couldn't buy enough food for all of these. So guess what, Jesus? His response says, ain't no sense of trying. Ain't no sense of trying to do nothing. Forget about where it's going to come from. We ain't even decided on the how. And Philip says, hey, this, this ain't even no, I don't know if you, what you think this is, Jesus. Uh, you ain't got me on this one. Philip is confident in his response to Jesus that he wants to talk about cost when Jesus is asking where. Philip is saying we can't do it. We don't have enough is what Philip's response is. In other words, the challenge we face, we're not going to try it because what we got is not enough. This answer proves that Philip has not really learned the lessons of previous teachings. Jesus was, would often use real live on the job training to the disciples to get them to learn. So the disciples had to get this lesson. So see how Jesus would do the on the job training. So y'all know on the job training really show you where you are. And people, a lot of people don't like on the job training. Oh, they don't. Mm-mm. Don't like on the job training. Mm-mm. They want, don't give me the book. Give me the book, let me read it all, then I'll do it. On the job training gives you the opportunity to try and not still make it. Because while you're doing on the job training, you try some things and it still don't line up. Oh, you almost had it. Now let me show you again what you're missing, what you need to do. And it's a humbling part, humbling process to be trained on the job. So a lot of people don't like to be trained on the job training. You got to be very comfortable with finding out something you don't know. I, I hire people all the time. I hire people so much. They put me at the first line of supervisory for mentorship so I can bring in new talent and, and hire them and help them get promoted. And, but what I learned about people when you first hire, the first thing after you hire them because of their resume, because of their skill set, then they get to the job and they try to, try to make you think they know the job. Said, I ain't hire you because you know the job. I hire you because after I train you, you're going to be a superstar. So don't try to make me think you know the job. Hush your mouth and follow my instructions. You don't know 
what you're doing. I've been here for 10 years and I'm telling you how to do it. I ain't asking you how to do it. I'm being nice. This is the other side why I don't get to say. I'm getting to say it today. Pray for me while I vent. Pray for me while I vent. You don't know what you're doing. You, I know you're smart, but you, and you could be smarter than me, but you ain't more experienced than me. You could be smarter than me because I ain't the kind of person that I don't. I hire people smarter than me. That's one of the secrets of my success. I hire people smarter than me. I refuse to be the only smart person in the room. I am smart. I said I am smart, but I refuse to be the only smart person in the room to make myself feel good to have stroke my ego because I'm the only one who can solve problems. See, if you don't want to solve problems, you can be the only one always solving problems. Knocking on the door in the meeting. Joe, can you come solve problems? No, I can't come solve no problem in the meeting. I didn't know deliverance was coming while I was preaching. Hallelujah. <laughs> Philip is giving him an intelligent response. Think he got one up on Jesus and Jesus said, look, Philip, I'm challenging you. And many times in our own lives, God gives us on the job training. And Philip jumps up. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. I got to move here. Verse eight. He's the one of his disciples, Andrew. So Andrew, and it's easy what Andrew about to say. Andrew says, Simon Peter, brother says unto him, this lad here, which have five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? So Andrew steps up, so it's like in a classroom. So you say, Philip, what's the answer? I don't know, or you get it wrong. Well, it's easy for the next person to figure out potentially what the answer is because the first person that raised their hand got it wrong. So boldness comes to the second person. He said, all right, I thought, because you know, when you was waiting to answer, you was thinking like, and they said something that you would have said. And they were wrong. Like, Ooh, glad I didn't say that. Glad I didn't say that. Oh, because class is in session right now. The teacher is teaching. Jesus is teaching live training. And class is in session. And, and Andrew, Andrew, he asked Philip first. And Philip gave the wrong answer. And so Andrew said, I got this thing. Andrew says, there go two. You want to know whence? Where are we going to get the stuff from? There go two fish and five loaves. So, so, so Andrew's like, okay. All right, but, but what are they among so many? So Andrew is trying only after Philip doesn't get it right, but Andrew sees potential. But he's not sure if it's adequate enough. This is potential, but I ain't sure. Matter of fact, I'm telling you, what are they among so many? It appears that Philip and Andrew must learn, listen to this, that divine sufficiency outweighs human difficulty. That Jesus already got it covered while you're in it. That's the lesson Jesus is trying to get Philip. It's a pop quiz on Philip and Andrew. And many times God will test us. And when he tests us, he's given us the opportunity to supply spiritual truth to our challenging situations. Follow me, verse 10 here. And Jesus make, said to them, make the men sit down. He says, all right, y'all both got it wrong. Philip, you need to try some more. You're not trying enough. You're always looking for a way to not use your faith. Philip, I need you to be trying to figure out a way that it can work. Now, now Andrew, I want to give you credit. Because you at least looked for something. And you spotted two fish and five loaves. But Andrew, I, when you find something that don't look like it's enough, that's just when I need you to trust me with what you have. 
That's the lesson. Jesus said to make the men sit down. And Jesus said, now I'm going to move forward with the lesson. I'm going to move forward. We've got people here hungry. Let me move forward. Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. So Jesus, in his mind, he says, well, we have a lot of people and we also have a lot of grass. Hmm. If I'm going to feed sheep, I got to have a lot of grass. So I believe God already made provision here is what I believe Jesus is saying because uh, I see capacity to feed sheep. See, one of the things you got to learn what Jesus first now teaching how you care for people is you got to learn how to see capacity. And Jesus sees capacity uh, through the two fish and the five rows and the abundance of grass. Jesus took the loaves. Follow me in verse 11. Jesus is about to show us how he cared for people. He takes the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the the disciples and the disciples to them that were seated down and sat down. And likewise of the fishes as much as they would. So Jesus said, now let me show you how I care for people and I deal with challenges. The first thing he shows us when he's caring for people and showing compassion is the first thing you must do. You want to write it down. He says, first, be thankful. First, before we do anything else, before we do anything else about this situation, the first thing we're going to learn to do is to be thankful. Before we wonder what's going to happen next, before we try to work out our problems, can we pause a minute just to be thankful? Before we get worried about how it's going to come to pass, can we start being thankful? This is a secret ingredient and it's a recipe to start the process in to motion. Many of us can't see problems materialize into miracles and blessings because we don't first start with thanksgiving. The first thing we thought start with is complaining. We enter his gates with complaining. <laughs> Pastor, let me tell you how horrible it is. Let me tell you how we enter his gates with a complaining and negativity he says the first thing we're going to do is we're going to learn to be thankful say learn to be thankful being thankful is a skill and a perspective being thankful means i'm going to look for something that makes me grateful if I have to search a little bit, if I have to dig down a little bit, if I have to move some things out the way so I can clearly see that God's been good to me. Have you ever got mad at God because God didn't do something for you? Y'all ain't been living long. Y'all must have been saved long enough. Man, I've been mad at God a few times over my lives. I don't know what's wrong with my wretched self, but I've been mad at God a few times over my life. Oh man, I've been upset with the Lord. Amen. I mean, I'm serious. I prayed. How many fasted? And he didn't turn it around. I'm serious. Oh, y'all ain't playing around with it. I fasted sometime before and sometime I wanted God to do something and he did not do it and I was disappointed about and one time he even gave me a revelation about faith when he didn't do something ain't that something I said now you got the nerve to give me a revelation about faith when you didn't do something. I think that's something. He's showing I've been using it for life too. I was upset at the moment when he gave it to me. I prayed for something that didn't come to pass and then he had to trail me in the midst of it but I'm pleased with you. I said, what? He said, yeah. He says, because without faith, you can't please me. He said, although I didn't do it, but you believe me for it, I'm pleased. He said, I didn't change it, but you wanted me to. I'm pleased. He said, I'm pleased because you have faith. Because without faith, it's impossible. 
impossible to please him. He said, you please me by my, your faith. There are times you believe God for something, but it didn't happen in his sovereignty, but yet he was pleased with me. Y'all ain't saying nothing. I got that when I was disappointed. The first thing we got to learn to do is be thankful. Be appreciative. You got to learn how to boast. It means you got to learn to see value. See value. So now Jesus is about to take care of the need. But listen to this. The first step to taking care of a need is to see the need. Say see the need. Praise and thankfulness helps you see. See when you start thanking God, you start seeing how good God is. When you start thanking God, you start seeing how fortunate you are. So praising God helps you to see. So God wants to be compassionate, but compassion first must see the need. You have to see the need before you can meet the need. But if you never see it, you can never meet it. So Jesus says, first thing I'm going to teach y'all to do is to learn to be thankful. Can you just clap your hands and become exceedingly thankful right now? Right where you are, at home, wherever you are, what situation you're in, I dare you to be thankful. Somebody else didn't make it through what you're currently living through. I dare you to be thankful. Yeah. He's trying to teach them how to see while they are living. I'm telling you, there are people who make a buku of money off of perception. Uh, they make a buku, millions of dollars off of flipping things. They walk up to a house that's tore down, no roof. Um, need sheetrock. Weeds growing everywhere. And while they survey the property, they got a smile on their face. They walking around and saying, ooh, woo. Look at this. Mm. Mm. Ooh, that's mm. getting all the debris off their feet. Ooh. Mm. Ooh, when we finish with this house. Because mm. see, there are things that sometimes when you look at it, it has no value. But if you could put a little more creativity to it, a little paint on the wall. Come on now, there are people got big businesses flipping houses, taking things people abandon. Other people drive by it every day, call it a shack, tell them that house just tore up, but put it in the hands of somebody who is skillful, creative, and know how to flip things. They shed, they'll tell you things that people devalue, they appraise highly. But it takes skill and it takes eyesight. And the first thing is to learn to be thankful. Jesus teaches them thankfulness. After he teaches them to be thankful, then he says, now distribute the food. What does that mean? That's point number two. And how to be compassionate, how to flow with God is you got to trust God in the process. So once you be thankful, now it's time to distribute the food to the masses. Now it's time to trust God in the process. While they're passing out the food, let's trust God. While, while we're passing it out, and, and we, we ain't seen nothing yet. We got two fish and we got five loaves. And I don't know how this thing going to feed 5,000. I don't understand how this thing going to feed 5,000. But while we're starting with the fish, I don't know, I can imagine myself as a disciple. I can see myself as a disciple. I'll be trying, I'll, I would have been trying to make that miracle work. Amen. I was like, you get a teenchy. Boop. All right, you're a little bigger. We're going to give you two teenchies. 
Oh, I said, I'm going to make this thing work. I don't know how Jesus is going to do it. But we're going to, we got, hey, how much we got? Because we got two more thousand. Ooh, good. All right, the rest of y'all getting crumbs. All right. You know what I'm saying? I can see myself. But you got to trust God in the process. It's the second part of how God unfolds a miracle. Is you got to trust him in the process. Trusting God to meet the need. It's that second aspect of compassionate care. It's why God is seeing the need. You trust him to meet the need. To meet the need. Follow me in verse 12. In verse 12, when they were filled. What? What? Filled. They trust God, and while God, while they were passing out bread and fish, God was filling the people. Then he says, disciples, verse 12, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Don't you notice that the people were full? Tell somebody, not just full, but fulfilled. Not just full, but fulfilled. God had fulfilled them. God had fulfilled what they were hungry for. See, but the next instructions, uh, it will baffle us because after they were filled, he told the disciples, now go after the leftovers. Many times after God done done something, many people don't pay attention to leftovers. Don't you understand that leftovers get ignored? Come on now, we got children that you almost have to spank if you dare ask them to eat yesterday's food. They get an attitude with you. Well, our children are blessed. Some of our children are real blessed. Amen. They ain't used to that. Amen. If you don't want to cook, you can stop by some place on the way home and, and pick up something and things of that nature. Our children are blessed. And you, you go home and they notice you ain't made no stops. You're like, what's wrong with your mama? What's wrong with your daddy? Oh, we're going to eat what we got in the fridge. I don't want none of that stuff. And what you say was good yesterday. And, and, only, and only older adults and mature people understand about spaghetti. Come on. It's something about spaghetti about two days, good, about a day or so after. After you done season that thing with oregano, that thing done sat in a sealed container overnight. That thing done marinated. You put that thing in the oven. And if you're real good, you sprinkle a little cheese on top of that thing. Ah, woo! Can't wait till the fast over. Glory to God. Ah, oh, I'm going to eat. And I made myself hungry. I better be careful with this message today. Hold on, saints. I better be careful with this message today. I better be careful. I want to preach up no hungers up in here. Huh? But people forsake leftovers. Things that were good yesterday, for some reason, are no good the next day. We're accustomed of using things up and dropping things off. We don't recognize that there is, there is treasure in the trash. Uh, to uh, Jesus. The way we live, we don't recognize. But there'll be people who make a treasure. Matter of fact, I'm, I got a little, little, little hobby now that I'm learning to make some treasure out of trash. I, I'm a retired drummer and I semi-done came out of retirement with playing drums. Semi-retirement. I started a hobby business. Right now, I'm still in the hobby phase. And I solicit your prayers. I solicit your prayers. Because in the hobby phase, you buy, buy, buy. And don't sell nothing. I'm in the hobby phase of my entrepreneurship. Pray for me. I got four drum sets right now at my house. Amen. And I like vintage drum sets. And I got two of them in my beautiful bedroom. 
Yeah, Pastor Robin done threatened to kick me out with them already. And I told her, baby, just like a piano in the home are my drums in the room. It's a piece of furniture. Oh, I keep them clean. They're shining right now. Oh, they're not dusty. Oh, no. I said, baby, this is a piece of furniture. She said, they're going to get out of here. We're getting you a big chest. I said, but right now, this is my furniture. But I've learned that there's treasures in the trash. And there are people who don't understand vintage. And so I'm collecting vintage drums. So let me just put an ABB. It ain't right, but I'm going to do it today. And so if your grandma got some old drums in the attic, call me. Amen. If I'll say, throw them away, call me. I know what to do with some leftovers. And Lord, help me to sell it after I finish refurbishing it. In Jesus' name. Because I'm starting to fall in love with what things look like after you shine it up. I'm starting to fall in love what things look like after you polish it and sand it down and get look at the grain of the wood that's underneath all the grime. I'm starting to fall in love what you can do with it if you just work through the process. And I'm looking at some of that things and say, this thing didn't look like this when I bought it for $25. Yeah. <laughs> ah, Jesus. But there's treasure, there's treasure in the trash. Let me tell you about leftovers. I work, work for the deli in Publix. Give me a few minutes. I'm not done. I worked in a deli at Publix. I wasn't going to say their name, but I done said it now. I did my notes not to say the name. Not that it's going to give them props, but... I ain't got no royalty contracts, so I gotta be careful. But uh, they, I worked in the deli of Publix, and one of the standards of courtesy of professionalism and having fresh food for the customers is anything that's on the deli line on the day of, of closing, don't go into the refrigerator. Goes into the trash can. And I had to adjust to that working at deli. I mean, we just took out this food. And all we got to do is wrap it up and put it inside the refrigerator that we have. I don't understand why we're throwing it away. But the standards that they have for the deli is to throw it away. And we would close, we would put it all in the garbage can and throw it down the garbage chute. I said to myself, Lord, God forbid, if I ever became homeless, I would never be hungry. Oh what? I'll be right there. Y'all can say what you want to say. I'll be healthier than some of y'all looking good like some of y'all. I'll be asking y'all, when the last time you had roast beef? <laughs> when the last time you had chicken tenders? Uh, y'all say what you want to say. Ain't say. I will be eating leftovers. Y'all ain't saying nothing. So I learned that people throw away stuff they think they don't have no use of. Jesus says, go get the leftovers. And now he puts them on a journey that nothing will be wasted, that he will go after what's left. Can I prophesy in this season? There are things that you think God's not through with. You will think that God ain't going to do nothing with, but God is going after the leftovers. God is going after what you got left. You've been hurt. You've been in pain and you only got a little bit of love left. God is coming after the leftovers. Verse 13, and we're closing and praying. Hang with me. Therefore, they gathered them together. 
and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten it. Here's the prophecy here as I close. The blessings that God's going to do with your leftovers is not going to make sense. What he's going to do with the leftovers is not going to make sense. It's not going to even add up to how you're going to get to where you're going to go. God is saying nothing wasted. It's not going to make sense. What God's about to do in many of our lives is not going to make sense. I understand two fish and five loaves equals seven. But that don't add up to 12 baskets full. But I guess when you get in the spirit and you do what I call faith math, you take two fish, five loaves, and 5,000. Oh, there we go. There's 12. What I'm trying to say, God will take a number of things that make no sense and still get you to where you got to go. I don't know how they got to 12 basket full, but God has a way of taking your two fish, your five loaves, and your 5,000 and getting you to 12 baskets full. Tell somebody, no waste, no more waste. Tell them, say, nothing wasted. While you're standing to your feet, here is the final and most profound point. It is Jesus will make the difference. While I told you to first put it in the hand of God and be thankful, the truth of the matter is to be thankful, but the first thing is you had to put it in his hands. There's some things that many of you have to put it in his hands and get Jesus involved. You've been in scandal, you need to get Jesus involved. You have some problems, you need to tell somebody to get Jesus involved. You have some circumstances, you need to get Jesus involved. So yeah, I told you to be thankful. Yes, I said trust God through the process, but it all started when they took the two fish and the five loaves and put it in the hands of Jesus. We hope you've been blessed by this fresh word from Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. Pastor Joseph Davis and the congregation invite you to join them. You can find more information by following them on social media. Just look up Truth Gatherer's Dream Center Church. And we pray that God will bless you richly and abundantly in the coming days, knowing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him.